Here we go. Hey, uh, tell you what, let's start out tonight, even though we're in the book of Acts, let's turn to Matthew 10, 16 through 20. This is kind of a, well, this is a prophecy by Jesus about uh, the apostles and the persecution that they'd face and what they'd go through as far as courts are concerned. I've got the title called Paul on Trial Before Governors and Kings. And literally, he's before a governor and a king that we're going to look at tonight. And here's what Jesus said about that as He talked to the apostles whenever He appointed them way back in Matthew 10. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you'll even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. I like that, the Spirit of the Father. And, of course, we know that uh, He speaks through us too, via His Word and His Spirit. And uh, Paul... Uh, even though he wasn't amongst this original twelve, uh, he did become an apostle in the very equivalent that they were in the apostleship. And uh, he's saying uh, they they will turn him over to courts and uh, they'll scourge you in the synagogue, and that has happened to Paul. And uh, then he's before governors and kings, and then God gives him the word to say and uh, the opportunity. And I think that is rather fascinating as we uh, look again into a section. I've got it scheduled for 25 and 26. I thought since we uh, kind of broke a record last week, 23 and 24, that we could probably do 25 and 26. And I know that uh, that sounds a little bit overwhelming, uh, but I will tell you, when you come to a passage like this, it's really difficult trying to teach it the way that we ordinarily would. It's a unit. It's a unit kind of all together. 25 and 26 just fits in uh, as, a, as one thought. It's a story. It's a story being told. So what we'll try to do is get the sense of it here. We'll read through here, but it, it's a historical narrative. And um, it's not so much proclamation of doctrine that we usually try to focus around and on, on everything, uh, although there's some doctrine there. Uh, but it, it's a story that, uh, that is to be read um, two things that we want to keep in mind as we do it. It's example of a man, Paul, and how he lived and how he delivered uh, the gospel. And I think a second one is the providence of God. And we saw last week that that was really a focus there. How God just interweaves His will and His desire uh, in amongst all the things that happen. Even though man is, uh, the Jewish people are trying to kill him, you have Romans who are using their justice system, who are pagans, and then you have Paul who is a believer in Christ, and we see God overrule in all of this. And uh, I think it's exciting. Just you get to look, get a glimpse uh, again how God works, kind of behind the scenes. He's not behind there, but uh, just to put it in a in a sense that uh, sometimes it doesn't seem like God is doing anything, but we know He is. And I think the Holy Spirit, for a, a very explicit reason, continues with this historical narrative 
and this historical approach uh, and it definitely shows a, a good testimony to us through Paul and how God's working. So it's the pattern of Paul in his evangelizing we can learn from and also is that he is so bold in how he puts forth this message in front of people who would have been total unbelievers. Matter of fact, uh, many of them were ones that were wanting to kill him, of course. But uh, that's uh, kind of the dominant features that uh, that we look at. Uh, Paul knows no fear. Uh, he knows God. There's no reason to fear. And so he presents that gospel. And, and I think his goal is that the Lord would convert them through His ministry as, as He gives them the gospel. Uh, of course, tonight we see Festus, but especially Agrippa, uh, a king. Um, Agrippa was clearly in a position where he could understand a lot of things that were coming from the Jewish background. So that's some ideas of things that are going on. And uh, we know that if, if we look back, uh, just like last week, a few weeks before and such, there's been different trial situations. Uh, one time he was before the mob, the Jewish mob, about got killed there. Then he is before the Sanhedrin, about got killed there. But the Romans keep delivering him. Um, then he is before Felix, and we saw that last week. Felix came to the conclusion that he did no wrong, and Felix knew he was innocent, but Felix kept him there in Caesarea. That's where the, the trial has been going on since he came from Jerusalem and the Jews came there. Uh, so anyway, I think it's interesting. Now he's going to go before um, uh, Festus and then King Agrippa. Festus, a governor that takes the place of Felix. So all those occasions, we can always see that Paul hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't broken any laws whatsoever. He has not blasphemed God. He has not... He didn't go into the temple and desecrate that. These are some of the the things that they're trying to get against him. He did not disobey the Mosaic Law, did he? Uh, And he did not do anything against Rome. He wasn't trying to cause some kind of insurrection and kind of a government upheaval as they were trying to put forth on him. Um, So you have the Jews, you have the Romans, and... They both really are attesting to the fact that he really hasn't done those things. The more that the Jews charge him of what it, what he did, the more ridiculous it looks, and the, the justice system knows that. So Paul has been retained as a prisoner. He's going to stay two years in Caesarea. The Roman government just doesn't have the courage to release him. They know he's innocent, and their justice system says to let him go. But they have to appease the Jews. Because if they don't appease the Jews, then there could be riots that happen. Uh, As a governor, you could lose your job because you couldn't keep the peace there. This sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? And His situation. And uh, it's all over again, right? So they acquiesce to the Jews. That means they give in, although they really don't want to. But they they keep Paul a prisoner just to... You know, he's innocent. But uh, we want to keep it cool. If we let him go, um, then we're going to have all sorts of problems here. So they they don't let him go. The thing is, there are a lot of problems by keeping him. It's the old story. You have the Roman governors, the Roman leaders, 
You have the Jews. The Jews did it again. They always do it to all of the Romans. <laughs> Whenever you have a trial coming up of an innocent man like Jesus, like Paul, any other persons, they wouldn't be doing that. But it's the way it is for Christians. So anyway, Paul now gets to prove out Matthew 10 that we just read, uh, Jesus' prophecy. And there it is happening and the rest of the apostles face that too. Why don't we uh, go, let's call this the war room tonight and go into prayer. There's a spiritual warfare going on. That's a plug for the movie that comes out on August 28th, we hope, here in Jeff City. And it's supposed to be really good. A Christian movie. Anyway, the war room. That's a pretty good title, isn't it? Oh, by the way, while I'm thinking of it, then we're going to prayer. I also forget. Um, when we're done with this Acts, we're going to take one week and just have a movie in between because uh, Frida has a, a late movie also that would be kind of equivalent to what uh, we've been talking about. Um, there was the movie called Do You Believe? What's this one called? That is called Do You Believe, right? Okay, yeah, all right, got it right. So anyway, uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe, I'll announce it officially because I'm not so sure when we're going to end this, but if we stay on schedule, um, we'll we'll have an interlude between the next book and and, uh, we'll just show that. Does that sound good, Frida? Yeah. Now, we've seen it before. We wouldn't mind seeing it again because it's that good. The quality on it is excellent. We're going to do it Very good. on a Tuesday night. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank You. And uh, yes, we come to You, the Commander-in-Chief. You are the one that is directing everything. And uh, we are just reporting for Your orders. Your orders are found in Your Word. And we're given the power. You equip us <clears throat> with Your Word, Your Spirit. May we... Um, just kind of gather at your feet, you Holy Spirit. You wrote this, and as it's pinned down by Luke, we um, get to get in on some very intricate details of what was happening to Paul's life as he was um, being shipped off to uh, Rome. And uh, of course, you had a plan for him there. You had a plan for the gospel to get everywhere. And uh, may this be good for us that we can see how you work. Uh, You being the providential God, may we see how the testimony is of Paul and then also the witness that he has to the lost pagans as he proclaims the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us understand this, Lord, as we read this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. um, We'll we'll, uh, pick it up right there in in chapter 25. Now, he's, he's been accused by the Jews... Uh, he is away from Jerusalem. Thank the Lord because of that. And there is a key verse that I think really holds true to this all the way through. It's found in Matthew or, uh, Acts 23, verse 11. But on the night immediately following, this is where a scary thing had developed and it looked like Paul's life was going to be taken, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. There's your promise. This is going to happen, right? Doesn't it? 
And, you know, Jesus may not speak audibly like this, but you look at His Word and we know His promises. And whenever sometimes it could be a fearful time for us or we just don't know what's going on, just take His Word, count on it, and He's going to bring you to the next place you need to be. And so that's where God said He's going to go. Jesus told Him that. And He's taking that promise and believing it. And that's simply the way we as Christians live. Now that's a good, great theme verse, isn't it? So it's working, it's happening, and that's exactly what it's going to do. So we're just going to read a lot of this, this narrative, and I'll, I'll stop uh, so many sections and, and uh, we'll go over it a little bit. It, uh, it, like I say, this is like reading a, a book. It's like watching a movie. It just comes to life before us. Festus, then, having arrived in the province... Now, Festus is taking over Felix. Uh, and quickly I'll explain. Felix was the governor... Uh, Felix did something questionable. He's called in to Rome. Festus is taking his place. Festus is now the governor. Festus is going to stop off in Jerusalem first and he's going to go on to Caesarea. So that's what we read here. Um, we'll, we'll, take, uh, we'll try to read 12 verses here. Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priest and the leading men of the Jews... Sounds familiar? Brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem. At the same time, setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, Let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. After he'd spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense against either the law of the Jews or against the temple, or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then, when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. First section. This is Paul before Festus. Festus just now come in. He's taking over the governorship. Felix is now out of there. Felix heard it knew that there wasn't anything uh, wrong that he had done, but he kept him as a prisoner, so he inherits this Paul. He runs into the Jews in Jerusalem. They tell him about that, and uh, so he stays. he's around there for a while. Then he goes to Caesarea and, and goes for this matter. Um, 
So, and I've got Paul before Festus and right under that letter A, it, it, it will read, Paul reuses requests from Jewish leaders. I did a typo. And it's actually Paul, or uh, Festus re- refuses a request from Jewish leaders. He's going to refuse. The request is, hey, listen, can you bring him from Caesarea back to Jerusalem? That's really what they want. But he's not going to make it to Jerusalem if that be the case. What's going to happen? They're going to ambush him. They're going to kill him. That's the whole point. They don't care about having a trial. There's no trial to be done. They just want to kill him. So that's that's the deal. And, of course, I think it's interesting that he had asked Paul that, uh, hey, uh, would you like to go to Jerusalem to have your case there? You know, you can go there. Of course, we know Paul says, no, I'm here in Caesarea. I have been brought here. This is where this is supposed to be. It's already been done, though. That's the thing. <laughs> but uh, Festus, here's Paul's defense. There's three accusations. And, and we've seen this before. And Paul stays consistent. Um, and uh, what what is it? You see it in... Um, In verse 8, Paul said in his own defense, I committed no offense against the law of the Jews. It's Moses. That's, they said that he did, but there wasn't anything that they could get him on that. Or against the temple, they said he came in there and tried to cause problems in the temple, and uh, who knows, maybe even try to tear that up. Or against Caesar, there's the insurrection. And Paul says, I've done none of those three things. Um, so he, it's interesting, as he makes the defense, he realizes there's no hope left in the sense of going to Jerusalem. And a matter of fact, staying here in Caesarea is not going to do any good. So he does what a Roman citizen can do in this case to go to Rome to appeal to Caesar. Um, there's an ambush waiting for him. Whether he knows that or not, I'm sure he knows that they're gonna, they want to kill him. But he says, I appeal to Caesar. And that's, that's the hope that he has uh, outside of what the Lord's going to do. Uh, but he's making an appeal to the Roman court in Rome. And who is the ruler at that time? Who's the Caesar? Nero. Nero is nuts. Nero hates Christians. Nero killed Christians. And so he was one of those uh, emperors that was uh, pretty bloody, and he, just, he was a crazy man. And of course, he set Rome on fire, at least, and blamed it on the Christians. That sounds familiar today, doesn't it? Blame it on the Christians. Um, so he knew that he was going to go to Rome anyway. And I think, even despite the fact that you have Nero, uh, God says you're going to make it to Rome. And if you are in Rome, you're going. The idea is justice behind their system. Of course, every justice system is going to be corrupt. We have a justice system here that's pretty good in some cases, and in other cases, it's very corrupt, isn't it? Depends on where you're at, who the judge is, uh, who the jury is. <laughs> but he. he he was going to be obedient to God's will. God said that's what where he's going to go. And so, uh, hey, this is the chance that I've got to go. Matter of fact, I guess in some senses it could be called a free ride on a ship 
You know, <laughs> I, I'm sure it wasn't free to get a ticket on a ship at that time. Um, but I think he has a desperate desire to go there. Uh, you can turn to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 15. I think he mentioned it uh, several times. In 15.24, he says, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. <laughs> so there's a visitation that he uh, had with Rome. Um, there's an interesting problem that Festus has. You have Felix, now you have Festus, right? Festus, he has to go along with the Jews. He doesn't want to cause problems with them, but yet he still wants to hold some justice here. I think it's a tremendous problem. He doesn't know what to do. And he has to make a report. If he's going to send him to Caesar, appealing to Caesar and going to Rome, he has to have a written report. What's he going to write? There have been accusations, but the accusations have already been proved that he is innocent. So how's he going to do this? Uh, he doesn't have anything to write down. He, 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 had, he wants to go to Rome. Okay, I said you can go, but what am I going to write? The accusations don't stick. Jews didn't have anything. He's either guilty or accused. Knows he's innocent. He's been repeatedly proven innocent. It didn't matter. The Jews want him dead. So we move into verse 13. And this is where Festus tries to get a little help. Festus the governor gets a little help from the king, King Agrippa. You see how this story is just shaping all along? Quite a story. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, paid their respects to Festus. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it's not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accusers stood up and began bringing charges against them, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, <laughs> whom Paul asserted to be alive, being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem. Get him off his hands, right? And there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So, on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice, keep that in mind, Bernice, amid great pomp, 
and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer? But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore I brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa. Give me a hand, King. So that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. He's got a point. I think he's got a problem. I think he needs some help. And he has the guy that's just happened to come there at that time. He's just taken over. He's new. He gets right to this case because he sees how absurd it is. And the Jews really approached him right off from the very outset. And I think you see Jesus' trials right here. Boy, it just it's all over again, isn't it? They send him to another guy. They send him to like leaders of of the Roman Empire and wash their hands. And and the Jewish leaders, they don't know what to do with him. They don't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. Felix didn't know what to do. Festus doesn't know what to do. There's no accusations. No information really to put down for him. And here is a courtesy call. Courtesy call is that King Agrippa shows up. The king. King of the Jews. In uh, in a territory, anyway. And because there's a new governor, so he goes to greet him. And officially kind of welcome him in. In this district, this territory. And that sounds like heads of state coming together you have you have all the important people of Caesarea and that whole area and the king and the governor here to listen to this this aspect of what did Paul do and who is he and what's he going to do what does he say what's his defense Um, he's a king he's a vassal king he's a king that really doesn't have much power. He's a king like the Queen of England is. Now they have they have their own um, government there, but the Queen really is uh, in a position that is not leading the great nation of England, right? But figurehead. a figurehead, and that's really about it, isn't it? Whereas one time the king. King, Queen, you know they were they were leaders of that that uh, country, that empire. Um, here you have a king, though he has a whole entourage of people with him. Uh, they bring all the paraphernalia. Uh, you have the governor. It's almost kind of like a being sworn in, you know, and, and it's just a marvelous thing what happens here. Agrippa is the perfect guy to come there because Agrippa really is Jewish. Herod Agrippa II. And if that sounds familiar, it should because there are a long line of Herods. You go back to Herod the Great. When Jesus was born, there was Herod the Great. What did he do? 
he killed every infant from or baby from two years old and under, right? And he was a madman, a crazy man. Uh, he God. Uh, it's interesting, though. I think in, in, in another sense, uh, he was he was used to build a temple for the Jews, uh, quite of splendor, of majesty, in that process of it. Um, then you had a, an Agrippa that cut off John the Baptist's head. There also was a King Herod uh, that we see of the story that's in uh, Acts chapter 12 who um, took James's life. James the Apostle. James and John. Um, and here you have Herod Agrippa II and he's the last of the line of the Herods. When he dies, that's it. No more Herods. These guys, needless to say, were despicable people. Terrible. And how they lived their lives, and we'll see why in a moment. But the the Jewish king there, and here Festus is saying, hey, I've got a guy here that I need to get maybe some help with. I'm trying to figure out what to do, and maybe you could do this. He's, he's, he knows a lot of the Jewish ways. Matter of fact, he's he's Jewish, and as being a king in a district like that, he was in charge of the appointment of the high priests. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And also the ceremonies of Jewish worship. So I think he knows a little bit, a lot more than the Roman Festus or Felix would. And I think this is what he's hoping for. He's a puppet as far as Roman authority is concerned. Um, Actually, the governor here has more power than he does. But he brings in all the pomp and uh, everything like that. And uh, he's just so familiar with this stuff. And so Festus is saying, Oh, this is just the man to, to help me out here. From the family of kings. Anyway, um, King Agrippa II brings along Bernice. Bernice happens to be his sister. Kind of interesting sidelight to that. That was his sister. This is probably one of the most infamous relationships of all of history because they lived together in incest. A brother and a sister living in incest. She also had a sister called Drusilla. And if you remember last week, Bernice is the sister of Drusilla who we found in uh, chapter is it, uh, chapter 24? Uh, verse 20. Thank you, Bob. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. <laughs> so, some connections there. Um no kidding. It's all around family. Family package, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That corrupt as can get, but Very corrupt. And sexually, you can see what's going on there. Uh, Herod Agrippa had an uncle that beheaded John the Baptist, we know, and in the Jewish war, uh and which led to seventy AD, the Jewish were having their wars against the Romans. They were trying to get out from underneath them. Um, he actually tried to keep the Jews from revolting. He just wanted peace, this Herod Agrippa II. Now, he, he's Jewish, but whenever it came time to finally invade the temple in 70 A.D., 
guess whose side he took? The Romans. And matter of fact, he joined the Roman army and literally came in there fighting against Jerusalem. So he was a traitor to Judaism. And he wound up dying in Rome, went back to Rome, and that was the last of the Herodian dynasty. So that's a little bit about Herod. Josephus is the one who tells us that uh, they lived in incest. Uh, in, in between times, she would um, take on a, a lover, some king, some governor, or whoever. Um, there was Titus, the general from Rome, that comes in to take Jerusalem. He's the one that led that attack in 70 AD. Guess what? She lived with him for some time. And he took Bernice back to Rome and word got around. I mean, this was really even racy at at that time, even in Rome. When he got back to Rome, talk was so bad about her that he dumped her. And so she goes right back to, guess who? Her brother. So, yeah, she slept around, went around to different men, having different husbands or whatever, and uh, that's the kind of thing that was going on at that time. Just like our times. <laughs> a soap opera. And so the Herods were. Bernice is there. She's there right there. Bernice is standing up every time. Every time every time uh, she's, she's standing up. She's standing with who? Agrippa. Every time you see Agrippa, you will see, you will see Bernice. Bernice wasn't left out of anything. And so you can say, well, why does the Holy Spirit, like if you look, okay, was it in uh, verse 23? Next day when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders, prominent men. And then um, chapter 26, verse 30. The king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. She's right there, boy. And I think there's some good uh, symbolism here. I think, uh, why does the Holy Spirit just keep saying that? Well, I think she's attached to Agrippa. Uh, maybe not attached where she can't get away or he can't get away from her, but it's it's just like an ugly disease that's that's on him. And she's the symbol of, of sin and, and vice. And I think this classifies this man who it is. People that knew him at all knew that that's his sister. And that was despicable to them, even the pagans. So, all you have to know to characterize Agrippa uh, is Agrippa and Bernice. That's, if you don't know anything else, that pretty well says it. So, uh, Festus tells him the story, and he, he, he took actions you know, kind of what he did, what he said, and he, he tells him to him. He, he says, hey, listen, I was in Jerusalem, the chief priest, the elders, they informed me about uh, this situation, about this Paul, and they said they want him condemned. Right away he's thinking, okay, has there been a court case? What, what, a, what do you want me to do? And they didn't want a trial. They already tried that before. You know, really they're implying that they want the man dead. He needs to be executed. And I'm sure he's thinking, well, why? And um, and so he tell so he what he's doing he's telling uh, the king Agrippa here what what was going on how it got to this case and he says 
I inherited him, that he was left by Felix, he didn't know what to do. Uh, and it's not the manner of the Romans. This is not legal for any man to die in that way. He has to be accused. The accuser, the accusers have to face the, uh, the accused. The accused has to have the accusers face to face. And I can't just send him off to them. I, I can't do that. So he is following law, isn't he? So we have to commend him on that. Or, uh, Festus here, that is. And um, he says, I told him the Roman law prohibits something without a trial. Agrippa's Jewish, and he knows the Roman law too, and it's kind of part of that Roman system. So the accused must be allowed to face the accusers. Uh, he recognized that Paul was not charged with the crimes against the state. It was some kind of religious matter, and at that, it was amongst themselves, and this was not anything anybody ought to die for. And he did ask Paul if he wanted to be tried at Jerusalem, trying to get off this thing. That'd be easy, and then it's on them. <laughs> uh, Agrippa, I inherited this guy. They want him dead. They have an argument about religion. He also talked about a dead man who he said is alive, That's, but it's ridiculous, but he, he talked about this Jesus. He says, can you believe that? Uh, this guy might be out of his mind. He's talking about somebody coming back from the dead, but I don't understand this thing. He sure doesn't deserve death. Maybe he's a little bit crazy. Maybe he's off his rocker, but do we, do we, we can't kill him for that. Big deal. Well, I think there were other things that he did not understand. He did not understand the implications of the resurrection because that's really what Paul is honing in on. It's because people need to believe that there was Jesus who died and rose from the dead. He didn't believe. He didn't know. and He didn't understand about the Messiah and how that execution was to be. He didn't understand the life and work of Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised. He shouldn't... Uh, Festus, how's he going to know any of that? Uh, to understand the death of what the resurrection is and what Paul's meaning here. Um, he, he doesn't understand the debate that the Jews have amongst themselves. But Paul had already got down to the very issue. What's the core? What's the very issue of the Gospel message? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's the focus. And he's going around saying he's alive. Um, well, Agrippa then closes out that verse, verse 27 in chapter 25. No, no, no. Okay, we start 26. Um, Agrippa wants Agrippa wants to hear what what's going on. I'm sure he's thinking this is interesting. Remember the Herod that says. Uh, um, Jesus called he's like a fox. You know, he, he wanted to run into Jesus. He wanted to meet him, see what kind of miracles he could pull off. I think uh, this Agrippa II is along the same lines. That's the nephew of that one. He's the, the, the guy that had killed John the Baptist, and he wanted to. Run, he thought it was a resurrection of John the Baptist. Probably he got a little scared about all that. That was uh, Herod, uh, his uncle. Uh, so um, he says, I want to hear this guy. He says, okay, you'll hear him tomorrow. 
I think it has a curiosity. And that's a dangerous thing. There are people who are curious about Jesus. They're not interested in having Him as the Lord of their lives, but they're really interested in some of the things that He did, and they might have believed those things that He did, and He's somebody special. But they don't want Him to come in. They don't want Him to change their lives. But they do find Him interesting. Have you ever met any people that find Jesus interesting? I think they're all over the place. I think they can fill our pews in the churches Sunday mornings, you know, all across the world. Um, they can find Jesus interesting, and they can say all the right religious words, but they really don't believe him. They don't walk that walk that he's been given to them. So now we come to part two, and um, we actually have already started in part two when we got into about verse 23. This is Paul before Agrippa. And remember when I was talking about that pomp? The pomp that uh, this pomp and circumstance that they have here. This it the the Greek word there is related to Fantasia. You remember Walt Disney and Fantasia? Um, it's, it's super colossal the entourage that he has along with him, uh, the military men, the soldiers, there's a whole flanks of them there uh, to come in and act as a ceremonial guard. And you've seen whenever the military comes in at, at a ceremony, they wear their dress blues, the dressiest things they have. I mean, this really looks like a big deal, and it is. And they go to the place of the hearing, that hearing literally is is the auditorium, and it's going to be surrounded. He is going to be surrounded by the most best dressed men and women that you'll ever see, and uh, people like kings and queens in that sense, I guess you could say. So they enter into this hearing, and it's that's really all it is. It's really not another court case in the sense of a legal court case. I, I don't even know if Paul really had to be there. But I don't think he'd miss this. Um, they, and, of course, Agrippa wants to meet him. So, yeah, Paul's going to be there. Okay, you have all this glitter. All the colors. And you can imagine King Agrippa in his purple royalty outfit that he has. And Bernice is decked to the hills. And there's the government. You can imagine how beautiful this ceremony. It's almost like a ceremony that it was because it's Agrippa along with the with Festus, and amongst them is this little ruddy guy, probably short. They say that Paul could be. He comes walking in, bald headed. They say a little Jewish guy can't see too well. (laughs) There's probably nothing about him that would really attract people just by his physique. And and if nothing else, look at all the beatings that he's had. You know, I mean, he has to be walking funny. He has to have scars and who knows all the things that have happened to him. But you know, Paul just dominates the scene. Because he has the message of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And he he has that. And that's why 
uh, people are attracted to that message that he has. So, so um, I think Luke here, I think, brings this forth. And I think it's it's worded very well. As a historian, he is supreme. And I think he actually could put a, a little... It might be having a little humor here. Because if you really picture this, there they are, and you see Paul coming in. How do you think he's dressed? Well, he's he's really probably not dressed the best to be in a in a place like that with, with those people. And uh, we know that uh, he's... Of course, he's shackled by a chain as he's standing in the middle. He has a, probably a tunic on. Who knows how old that could be. Uh, he had been in a cell. He had been in cells. I, I don't know if he's really given him a chance to have a bath. They don't say. Uh, but what a contrast. Really interesting. And I think that Bernice and Festus and King Agrippa, all those people there along with him, would really have been scandalized had they known that they would have been in this story here and millions and millions of people have read this story and know that it's recorded in history and quite detailed, I think, and they're actually going to look like a bunch of jerks before Christians look at them. And, you know, they're, they're just having their ceremony. And, uh, of course, they they don't know what to do with Paul. And, uh, of course, the, the Jews are looking like a bunch of idiots. And it's Paul who is the one who's the hero as he's going to share Christ. He's done nothing for which to die. And there they are trying to figure out what to do. He's appealed to Caesar. I'm sending him. Do you have anything that I can write in my report? <laughs> well, you know, King Agrippa, examine it. Give me something to write. It's unreasonable to send him the way that we've got him now. You know, I keep emphasizing that, but that's the problem. That's what 25 and 26 is really hanging on there. Yeah, but I think Agrippa is getting his uh, curiosity satisfied here Um, we move into 26 Agrippa said to Paul Agrippa's speaking to him now you are permitted to speak for yourself (laughs) that's that's what he says speak you can speak you can do it now you're permitted this is a stage what a setup! look what God has done he's put him on the biggest stage that you could ever think of in this area. Paul stretched out his hand, proceeded to make his defense. I mean, they're seeing him, and it's like, okay, listen up. (laughs) You couldn't be at a better place. This is exactly where God wanted him, and Paul couldn't have gotten in there no matter how much he would wanted to and to get those guys together. How could he have ever planned this? I don't think it's by accident, do you? So here's, so here's Paul. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa. I am very fortunate. I am blessed. 
this is really cool <laughs> to be here. That I am about to make my defense before you today. You know what he's got in mind? He wants to convert him. That's what Paul wants to do. You think he cares so much about whether he proves his innocence or not, although he's going to put that forth. He sees a perfect... And he knows that Agrippa knows the Jewish things. Oh, what an opportunity. I'm on stage and I've got the actors here that uh, need to be portrayed. And so I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know what Agrippa's doing? He's sitting. If he's sitting down, he's on the edge of his seat. Or if he's standing up, come on, I'm, I'm ready. Paul <laughs> says, listen to me. Because he knows Agrippa's going to understand. Festus had a hard time understanding this Jesus and the resurrection and the Jewish law and everything. Okay. Okay. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. People know about me. They know about my past. Which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Paul is of Tarsus. He came from there. That allows him to be a Roman citizen. His father was Roman. His mother, grandmother, they were Jews. He was taught the Jewish religion, but he has pure Roman citizenship. Don't think that's by accident, because there are a lot of Roman soldiers that had to pay a lot of money, or Roman commanders, to become citizens, because they weren't born as Roman citizens. So here it is. They've known me for a long time. If they're willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee, according to the strictest sect of our religion, do you think he has heritage? A Pharisee of heresies? Pharisees? Benjamite? I mean, anybody could it be a Pharisee. It's him. Now I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. All through the Old Testament, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I go back before that. Go back to Adam, Eve. You know, the proto-evangelium. That promise. That was threaded throughout the whole Old Testament. The promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, right? As they earnestly serve God night and day. Uh, Agrippa's going, yeah, yeah. And for this hope, O king, I'm being accused by Jews. So he appeals on the very thing that all Jews look for, that great hope. What? The Messiah. I have the same hope. I I have that hope in the Messiah. And he says, For this hope, O king, I'm being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? He's saying it to Agrippa. Agrippa has to realize that, yes, in the Old Testament, there is something about resurrection. Quite a few passages. 
I know in Job and Isaiah, many other places. They always knew that they that they would not just die and that would be it. They knew that there was a resurrection. Except the Sadducees, the liberal folk. But he's a Pharisee, and the Pharisees believe that. And remember, back last week we talked about that, and that's that caused the fight among the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the whole point of the gospel. He could have said, "Oh boy, I'm I'm amongst um, pagans and Jews who want to kill me. I really have to be careful what I say here, so I better not say anything about the Messiah. I sure better not say anything about the resurrection. Maybe I better word this differently, and maybe I can get out of this deal. I'm use my wits here, you know. No, he, that's that's further from what he's thinking of." He says, so then I thought to myself, in verse 9, I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus Nazareth. So he starts telling himself, hey, as a Pharisee, uh, I persecuted uh, Jesus. This is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. So he was just as responsible as the people who were killing him. And he says, that's what I did. You're talking about this Jesus that I've mentioned? I, I had orders and I, I persecuted people who believed in Him and I voted against Him to be killed. As I punished them often in all synagogues, I, He punished people who believed in the Messiah. In the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. Furiously enraged. That's how mad he is. And he went outside of what would be the Jewish area. And so he tells his upbringing about his persecution of Christ. You know, Jesus, whenever he met him, when he met Jesus, what did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was the church. And when you touch God's people, you're touching Christ. So, um, you get the um, conversion that he has. That's what he was before. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. Remember Acts chapter 9? He elaborates on this. Sometimes we get some more details and different... It has three times he tells his testimony. Testimonies are powerful. And we had all fallen to the ground. When we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up. Stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes. I'm going to send you out so their blind eyes will be opened up as you preach the good news about Christ as you give it to them. That they may turn from darkness to light 
and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Boy, look at all the things that happen when you get converted. (laughs) And an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's what Jesus told him. So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. Here's what I did. This, this is the man who was prophesied about. He appeared before me. My life was changed. And I have this message. And he says, Agrippa, I couldn't be disobedient. This is the heavenly vision that, you know, that, that was there. But kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent Turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So when he when he came to Jerusalem that last time, which last few weeks that's where, where we we come at after he had done all this ministry, he comes into Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and he says they try to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day. Notice who he gave the credit to? Help from God. Matter of fact, even God used the Romans to help him out too. I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing. And notice he says to the small and great, he's speaking to the great people of the world, the cool people of the world. Today I think some of our political leaders are Hollywood. <laughs> they, uh, they're the ones who demand all the respect and the attention and they get all the pomp, don't they? But the small and the great, doesn't matter who they are, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said, what the Old Testament said, what the law said. You know, Agrippa, that this this is what the whole Bible is about up to that time. This is what this is. This is the Messiah. It's about that. This is what the law says that the Christ, or the Messiah, was to suffer, suffer, and that by reason of His resurrection from the dead, He would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Well, Paul was saying that in this defense. Paul, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. This is before everybody. Because he spoke about the resurrection again. Oh, how offensive that's going to be to all these people, right? There's Agrippa standing there and Bernice. (laughs) But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Gives him his honor. But I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters. See, he's been wanting the king Agrippa to help him out. King Agrippa is saying, well, well, the king knows about these matters. I speak to him also with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. This, is, this has been seen. It's done. There are witnesses to this. There were witnesses at this time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were still living. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. 
Don't you like that? King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you'll persuade me to become a Christian. Now there have been sermons of that. Persuaded to be a Christian. Um, I think probably, in, I don't think he's quite telling uh, something that's going to happen. It's almost like, wow, you're so convincing, I can almost become a Christian out of this. But I'm I think. And I think that's. Yeah. yeah. In a short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? Are you really wanting me to become? You think that I'm going to become a Christian? Is this really going to? You think that's going to happen? You know, it's almost kind of what uh, facetious there, I guess. Or uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the the way that that um, that is put. Um, hey, are you trying to convert me? You think you're going to convert me? Uh, I think the evidence was something that King Agrippa knew that was before him, though. What could he say? Yeah, he knew all that stuff was in there. And he probably had heard about Jesus before, too, because remember his uncle, (laughs) Herod? Of course, he had a great-grandfather by the name of Herod the Great. I don't know if he had ever met him or not, but he sure knew his uncle. I'm sure he knew about Jesus. I had heard some things. What a stage. What a stage to preach on. We'll just finish reading on out. Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but all who hear me this day, everybody that's here, might become such as I am, except for these chains. There might have been some humor there. He said, I want you to be like I'm a a Christian. The king stood up, Agrippa, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with him. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not... appeal to Caesar. Say that again. You still haven't given him the, the way the right to Caesar as to why what's his criminal, what's his, what, why is he a king's They still don't know what to do. didn't help him out a bit. <laughs> Agrippa is, matter of fact, Agrippa is even more confused because he knows what Paul has just said. I'm sure he's got to be thinking, hmm, wonder about that. I wonder if it uh, caused uh, some problems with him like it did his uncle. No, these Jews, were the Jews there that accused him? They were there as mm-hmm. well, weren't they? Yep. You know they're gnashing at their teeth because it was, I was just thinking how that uh, the, uh, they were told the, the temple guards were told don't report this to anybody that Jesus was in the grave. Say they stole his body, but don't say he was in the grave. And so they tried to keep that on a hush hush. And um, it was kind of like uh, putting Niagara Falls in a, in, a, in a box and hoping that it would not explode. <laughs> I mean, it's just impossible for that to take place. I mean, this is something that is, is dynamite. And so. Uh, so 
there, they, they, they take vows that they will not eat anything until they destroy the man who testifies that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. They're furious. They're so furious. They are so they Satan will do nothing and vow to nothing. And here they have to and they're trying to get him dead. Well, he will die, but not until the gospel message has been presented. All in God's timing. And all of this is in God's timing. By the way, they're gnashing at their teeth like they did with Stephen. Um, how about Paul? Whenever, whenever he said, I punished them off in the synagogues, I tried to force them to last name, and being furiously enraged at them. That's what the Gospel does. It either will soften the same sun that softens what? Uh, an egg so that's somewhere something like that <laughs> but is the same sun that can harden like uh, an, an egg also like, or when you put it in boiling water you know um, what we're saying is that God's message can melt us and all of a sudden we become soft and our hearts become opened and we receive the message. And others hear the message and they become hardened and even more hardened. And they get mad. They get angry. They heard that gospel so much. They matter of fact they'd cover their ears. Imagine what that looked like. Ah! You know, like little kids. You know, you you've seen that when you they don't want to hear what they want to you know, you're telling them and so they cover their ears up. That the gospel me, message makes me think of what John MacArthur had said in regards to our leaders that they have reprobate minds that they will no longer are able to make sound decisions and uh, this is the case with these people here is that they have reprobate minds they have turned so far away from God and so far away that they just hate it to think of that this, this is just a Messiah no, no, that's not the yeah, I, yeah, I like that. Um, what did you say? I had something to go with that. Reprobate <laughs> minds. Yeah, um, these guys know what they're supposed to do with him. He's so confused; doesn't know what to do. He, he, let him go, you know. But he, he's afraid to let him go because it might cause problems. He has a reprobate mind here. He knows the Roman law. And he has enough human wisdom to say, okay, here's what I have to do. I have to let him go. Of course, if he lets him go, he might get killed. I think God is using this whole thing as a protection. And what a witness this is. What a stage that uh, God gave him. The testimony is just fantastic. Remember the scripture in Second Timothy? In season and out of season. And you know what? Really, it's in season all the time. Even when it seems like it's out of season, it's in season to preach the gospel as, uh, as always. What an audience that he had. And they're going to be held accountable for how they responded to that. Whether they ever heard the gospel anymore or not, they heard it right there about this man Christ. They heard about for, you know, really forgiveness, the, the resurrection. And he was bold. He was fearless. I think you see a pattern of evangelism there that he did. And uh, he just turned this circumstance into a gospel. You always look for the opportunity to just get it opened up. 
And all he needed was for the king to say, tell it, speak. Okay? And he did. Um, Kathy Lee Gifford, husband, died. Frank Gifford. That's her husband. Frank Gifford. He, Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And he was... Uh, they talked about his faith on... Um, on, on the Today Show and was Kathy Lee Gifford on, on her show or I don't know if she's on a show but I saw a clip is she on that show then and she was given quite a bit of time to talk about that and of course she didn't what I heard she didn't hold back any and she talked about faith faith in Christ uh, you know and, and him alone I don't know what all the deal was I've heard uh, many many years ago that she was a Christian uh, but she took the opportunity right there on network TV, and I'm sure they're going up. But what are they going to do when a man has died who people have so much respect for, you know, you know, the football popularity that he had? She pretty much said that she was a Christian. Yeah. And she didn't hold back anything. So you got to, got to see that, right? So there it is. She took full advantage of that. And Hollywood today, I mean, even if they do that, they're not going to really say hardly anything. They might say something about their faith or something and move on. But um, um, oh, she used to be on there, didn't? Yeah. Wait a minute, I'm getting off the Yeah, Okay, never mind. Okay. I got to straighten my head. All right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I, I think it um, it should help us out in, in just being bold because he was before, in a situation that really could have could have been volatile for himself and it really developed into something where um, the gospel again was gotten out to uh, these I guess you could say the the, uh, the, uh, the elite of the society so God uses kings and governors brings them before there and there's Paul right there Jesus told about that Why don't we uh, close in prayer? Thank you guys for letting me go through two chapters. <laughs> we, it's just kind of a narrative, and ordinarily I, I, we couldn't do that, but this is kind of different. In sense. Hey, Bob, could you close us there? I'm going to draw on these scriptures in, in the prayer uh, about what God has done for his people. Uh, Jesus uh, had uh, appeared to Paul and given him revelation of himself and the grace of God. Uh, uh, Lord Jesus, we uh, we thank you. You delivered us out of this world and you've opened our eyes. We have turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And through you we've received forgiveness of sins and now a place among those who are sanctified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.